Well, good morning, and I want to begin our time today with actually a bit of a review of our series so far. We began nine Sundays ago in James chapter 1. We began with a summary statement out of James chapter 1 that said, uh, consider trials with joy. (laughs) I mean, how upside down thinking is that? Uh, Consider trials with joy. Why? Because they produce the staying power I need to get the full transformation plan that God has for me. We got that out of James chapter 1. We consider trials with joy because God is using trials. And as we grow in our ability to remain in the trials, to literally, God wants for us to remain and walk through the trials. The objective is not trying to quickly as possible get out from under a trial, but a sovereign God is allowing trials to come along into our life, and they're attended for a purpose. I mean, think about it maybe in this kind of a way. They're like uh, uh, construction zone signs. You know, you're, you're on a trip, you're, you're heading somewhere, and you're driving to Columbus, and you're heading out uh, I-70, and all of a sudden, while you're driving, you know, you've got your schedule, you left at a certain time to be able to get there at a certain time, and uh, while you're driving down the highway, all of a sudden, there's a sign there that says construction ahead, and you're like, oh, crud. Ah. You know, who knows what this is going to be like, and it may slow me down, it may uh, be a bumpy ride ahead. This is not going to be fun, but why is the construction work there? The construction work is there so that that road can be able to be at a better place, if you will, down the road. And so in trials here, we consider them with joy because there's times where all of a sudden something hits and we look at it and we go, God's at work. I mean, I know God is always at work, but in this moment, at this time, a sovereign God is allowing something to come into my life to be able to do a transforming work in or through me. God, you're here. I'm open. I'm aware. And we begin the weeks after James chapter 1 to look at individuals because it's one thing to talk about this. It's another thing actually to be able to experience it and see it through. And one of the things I love about scripture is 70% of the Bible is narratives. 70% of the Bible God chose to be able to put in, to put in story form to teach us and to help us. And so we began talking about Noah We saw that Noah, about eight weeks ago, that Noah was given a lifetime ministry to build an ark. I mean, that ark was not built in a day or a week or years, but we talked about how it was decades, very possibly about 120 years possibly. And he builds this, and all through that day after day after day after day after day after week after week after month after year after year after year. I mean, come on, God, can I like do something different? And yet there he is, chopping trees, forming and putting together, building an ark, all for a lifetime ministry that God has for him. And yet all in there, we talked about how he was clinging to the fact that God has a perfect plan in this, even though I don't get it, God has a perfect plan. Then we took a look at Abraham, saw that with Abraham in the various trials that God brings about in life to see these kinds of trials and to see how to respond with them, we saw with Abraham, Abraham that trials can be a test of my faith. That God allows some trials in my life specifically to push my faith. I may talk like God's a big God. God is this big. And then when a trial comes along, actually the reality is, 
I come to find out really my view of God is really only about this big. And trials have that way of helping me to see, to test my faith, and helping me to stretch me to understand God is able. God is able. Joseph, we saw decades after decades in his life where God was giving them, allowing these trials to come about to prepare and to place him. God was sovereign in his life. Love the end of Genesis when he uh, talks to his brothers. And he says, listen, yes, you were wrong in this, but God allowed this. So love that. God allowed it. A David, we, then we study, David and Goliath. A God gave David this under-pressure opportunity to be able to show the Lord big, to magnify the Lord before in Israel, uh, God's people that were quaking in their boots and to see that he's mighty. Then Job last week, man, what an intense, heavy-duty uh, story of Job. And that some trials are brought about to be able to be a living testimony. You just never know. You know, as we look at these, I just say this, we just never know what God is seeking to do. But we do know this, God is seeking to do something through him. God's to be worshipped. Well, today we're going to take a look at Nebuchadnezzar and uh, King Nebuchadnezzar and that in it that God, some trials, God brings some trials about to correct me. God does bring some trials about to correct me. And to help me understand that he restores. Now, you may be saying, if you were here last week, well, Doug, that's kind of, frankly, a weird statement that you make here. Because if I remember right, last week with Job, he had his buddies coming alongside. And through the whole process after Job chapter 2 and 3 and following for like uh, 35 chapters, it's about this dialogue. And you were saying last week that these friends were wrong for accusing Job of having sin in his life and God was disciplining him. Well, here's the difference. They saw, as we talked about last week, that every trial in life was a result of God disciplining someone. And that's not true. I'll say it this way. The trial that God brought into the life of Noah was not because of sin. The, God, the trial that God brought in the life of Abraham wasn't because of his sin. For Joseph, wasn't because of his sin. For Habakkuk, wasn't because of his sin. For David, wasn't because of his sin. And they were taking the viewpoint that, Job, listen, God only allows trials in your life because he's trying to get at you for something. He's trying to discipline you, and that's bad theology. So, Doug, if today we're talking about God's correcting work, then how do we wrestle that? Well, here's the deal. God does bring some trials into our life to correct us and discipline us. And I cannot go through this series and address this reality. Some trials are brought about in life to correct us. And here's what I want to do. I want to lay a foundation for this. And if you've gone to church for a good part of your life, maybe when you were a kid you remember the sword drill where you go to a number of verses through the Bible. Well, get out your swords and we're going. So if you have a Bible, have it right there. And I'd like for you to open your Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Sword drill time. And if you don't have a Bible with you, we've got some people who did or are coming around with Bibles because we're going to be going to a number of verses as you can see on your sermon notes page there. Let's go to Deuteronomy 8 verse 5. And what I'm going to do here is I'm going to lay out a foundation, then we're going to see this happen in Nebuchadnezzar's life. First, God disciplines me. God disciplines. 
Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 5. It's interesting. The context here of this is it's Israel is reflecting back on God's dealing with them of the 40 years in the wilderness. Oh yeah, 40 years in the wilderness, that came about because of God's correcting work in their life. And here's what they say. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 5. You there? All right, here we go. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God, what? Disciplines you. God disciplines you. God disciplines me. Uh, Turn to Psalm 39. Psalm 39, verse 11. I love hearing the pages turn. And these people have their Bible and they're going there. Good stuff. Psalm 39, 11. The New International Version says, You rebuke and discipline men for their sin. <laughs> Listen, God disciplines me. God disciplines you. Point number one. Point number two, God's discipline comes from His great love for me. It comes from out of His great love for me. Turn to Psalm 119, 75 and 76. God's discipline, the fact that he disciplines me, comes out of, actually comes from his great love for me. Psalm 119, 75 and 76. It says, I know, O Lord, that your laws are righteous, and in faithfulness you have afflicted me. May your unfailing love be my comfort. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, a little to the right. Proverbs 3, 11 through 12. My son, Solomon writing to his son, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father the son in whom he delights. God disciplines me. And God's discipline comes from his great love for me. Point number three, God's discipline is designed to change me. Turn to Isaiah 26. God's discipline is designed to change me. It's designed to protect me. It's just designed to correct me. It's designed to restore me. Isaiah 26, verse 16. Isaiah 26 Verse 16. This is actually in a song. In a song to the land of Judah. No, I'm not singing it. Here we go. O Lord, look at this. In distress they sought you. By the way, isn't it interesting how at times when life is just kicking along, we're just like, hey, life is really good going. And then all of a sudden distress comes along and it's like, okay, God, I'm back. Uh, it's when the under pressure time comes that life takes on a different perspective. Uh, in distress they sought you. They poured out a whispered prayer when your discipline was upon them. Uh, God, discipline is designed to change us. Go to Isaiah 38. Isaiah 38. Let's start in verse 9. Isaiah 38, 9, a writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, 
after he had been sick and had recovered from his sickness. If you want to spend some more time after today uh, on this topic of God's correcting work, this is another passage to go and spend some time in. It was actually one I'd considered uh, talking about as opposed to Nebuchadnezzar, but a great passage to go and take a look at it, God's correcting work in the life of Hezekiah. Now go to in, uh, Isaiah 38, go to verse 17. It says, Behold, it was for my welfare that I had great bitterness, but in love you have delivered my life from the pit of destruction, for you have cast all my sins behind your back. That's stated within the context of God having brought a correcting work on him. God literally put him in a trial, and out of that, it says, But in your love you delivered my life. Uh, Let's go to Jeremiah, book over. To the right, Jeremiah 31, verse 18. 31, 18. It says, I have heard Ephraim grieving. You, God, have disciplined me. And I was disciplined. I love that. <laughs> you, God, disciplined me. And oh, man, Sam, I was disciplined. Uh, like an untrained calf. Bring me back that I may be restored. For you are the Lord my God. Let's go to the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 11.32. 11.32. This passage is in the context of Paul addressing the church in Corinth, specifically about uh, issues of communion taking place. Some are taking communion without discernment. Some are taking it without properly examining themselves. Some saw it just as lunch. Uh, Other things going on at the time. 1 Corinthians 11.32. It says, but when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that, in other words, so that is the purpose for, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. God disciplines me. God's discipline comes from his great love for me. And God's discipline is designed to change me, to do a transforming work. At point number four, before we go to Nebuchadnezzar, as a result of all of that, I need to watch for and welcome God's discipline in my life. I want to tell you, I say that and I go, oh, wow. That is a very mature response. I need to watch for and welcome God's discipline in my life. Let's go to Revelation chapter 3, since we're in the New Testament, and then we'll go back to the Psalms. Revelation chapter 3, verse 19. Uh, This is being written, what's stated here is stated to the church in Laodicea, which was uh, called the lukewarm church, which you were either hot or cold. But because you are lukewarm, in 319 it says, Those whom I love, I reprove. Those whom I love, I discipline. So be zealous and repent. It's the kind of thing where the child of God, when we understand what God is doing in life, and that there are times in life where I need to ask the question, hey God, are you trying to do something? Are you trying to grab my attention to show me a a sin that I'm committing that I need to correct? Or an attitude of sin that I need to correct? God, are you using this to kind of uh, get my attention to you? Uh, Listen, I need to be zealous about that. And if that indeed is the case, then it's like, well, thank you. Thank you. Lord, I want to correct that. I repent. Let's go to the Psalm, Psalm 94, verse 12. Two more verses, two more verses. Psalm 94, verse 12. 
upside down thinking. Psalm 94, 12. Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord. Hey, how you doing today? Man, I'm just telling you, I am so blessed. This last week, I, I just, God's been putting something in my life. This last week, I realized God's just been disciplining me. Man, I'm blessed. That's what the text is saying. Nobody loves correction. We are just proud people. We're just, I am, we're just proud. And yet when God corrects us, it's like, it should be like, thank you. Man, I'm a blessed guy. I've got a father that loves me so much that he's willing to get in my life and in my face and rattle me up because he loves me. Not because he's bored. Not because it's like, watch this. <laughs> Scooby-Doo. That's not what's going on. There are times in life where God disciplines us because he loves you. Psalm 119, 67 and 68, last verse. <laughs> Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now, in other words, after the affliction, but now I obey your word. You are good, and what you do is good. I don't know if you remember if you were in choir a month or a couple months ago and you had that song, you are good, I don't know, something like that. And as I just remember that. It's just like, you are good, you are good, you are good. And we generally transfer that into the meaning that you are good because my life right now is just smooth. And here it's talking about this. You are good because you know what? You had brought affliction into my life. And look at the growth that's come out of it. You're good. That's why, my friends, it is so important in how we view trials. Because if we view trials as that's a Satan thing, that's a bad thing, then in light of this whole series, we sit back and go, wait a second, I am actually, when I do that, accusing God of doing bad things. This is serious stuff. Write down in your notes, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 17. Another text you can go to that kind of summarize all this together. The fact that God disciplines me. God's discipline comes out of his great love for me. God's discipline is designed to change me. Therefore, I need to watch for and welcome God's disciplining work in my life. Well, let's do this. Let's all turn to Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4, and let's see this, if you will, lived out in the life of a real person, uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 4 is uh, in a wonderful place. He has just overthrown the Davidic dynasty uh, some decades in the past. 
he basically is almost like a ruler of the world. He had conquered Jerusalem. When he had conquered Jerusalem, he took the spoils and he took uh, nobility out, and that included Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. People like that that he took out to Babylon, and that's really what Daniel chapter 1 talks about. In Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream of this great big image uh, with, with a head of gold, and it, it's all bothering to him, and yet in it, the, the, his wise men can't interpret it, but Daniel got, goes and prays before the Lord. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego go and bring it before the Lord and reveal the dream, and Daniel goes back and tells uh, Nebuchadnezzar about it, and Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 2 proclaims as a result that the God of gods and the Lord of all kings are the God of Daniel. Now, in chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar builds a 90-foot image, an idol, a god. 90 feet, six stories high. This is about a six-story high gold image. He tells everyone to fall down when the music starts and worship it, except three guys don't. Who? (laughs) Those three guys. Are you thinking of the VeggieTale images? Uh, but uh, they don't bow down, and all of a sudden, uh, Nebuchadnezzar has them thrown into the fiery furnace, and God shows up. And Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 3 is found saying that he blesses their God, and anyone who speaks against their God will be punished. Understand this, Nebuchadnezzar is a polytheist. He believes in many gods. Nebuchadnezzar is impressed by Yahweh. Nebuchadnezzar is not at a point where uh, God would want him to be. And we enter into chapter 4. Let's actually begin in verse 4 of chapter 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. So the magicians and the enchanters and the Chaldeans and the astrologers all came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last, Daniel came in before me, he who was named Belshazzar, after the name of my small g God. By the way, Chapter 4, very possibly there is a time gap between chapter 3 and 4, and it's very possible that this time gap is in the arena of 20 to 30 years. So when he says, uh, this is saying that he names Daniel Belshazzar by the name of his one of, his small g gods, we certainly get the idea that in light of chapter 2, in light of chapter 3, in chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar is still not a Yahweh worshiper. He's a polytheist naming his uh, uh, wise men after his gods. Uh, Verse 9, O Belshazzar, he says to him, chief of the magicians. By the way, Daniel is not like the spooky, you know, uh, pointy-hatted sun, moon kind of magician. That's not what this is talking about. He's also not David Copperfield. What he's talking about, this is really more of a wise man position situation. Now, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, 
and that no mystery is too difficult for you. Tell me the visions of my dream that I saw in their interpretation. And he goes on to tell him the dream. I want to jump down to verse 19 because basically the dream is repeated. So he tells him the dream and we jump to verse 19. Then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was dismayed for a while. In other words, he heard this dream and Daniel sat back. And I think as we see here, we are about to see a man who responds to the king in a way, not like he's covering his tracks, not like he's concerned, Daniel's concerned about what he's going to do to him. I think Daniel really, really cares for this guy. And he hears this news that isn't good news. Just listen to how Daniel addresses it. The king answered, he was dismayed for a while and his thoughts alarmed him. And the king answered Daniel and said, Belshazzar, let not the dream of the interpretation alarm you. Daniel's sitting there thinking, oh, believe me, bud, it's going to alarm you. Uh, Belshazzar answered and said, my Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation uh, for your enemies. In other words, Daniel's not like, I'm thrilled about bringing this on the table. You know, there have been times in the Bible where we see it's like, okay, David, um, Samuel, or Nathan, David, I got something to say to you, and it's like, listen, dude, here, uh, and he lays it, here, Daniel's going to tell it, but I think Daniel has great empathy here. Verse 20, or I'm sorry, uh, Belshazzar answered and said, my Lord, may the dream be for your enemies. Verse 20, uh, the tree you saw, which grew and became strong, so that its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in which was food for all, under which beasts of the field found shade, and whose branches the birds of the heavens uh, lived. This is the dream that he had, verse 22. King, it is you who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven, and your dominion is to the very ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying in the dream, chop down the tree and destroy it, believe the stump of its roots in the earth, bound in a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field, till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High which is come upon my Lord, the King, that you shall be driven from among men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven and seven periods of time shall pass over you. Now look at this. Here's the purpose. Here's why. Until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men, there's a purpose behind this. Until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Verse 26. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Verse 27. Now, <laughs> that was the interpretation of the dream. Daniel now has some advice for his friend. Love this. Love this. Uh, Daniel calls him to repent. Verse 27, therefore, O king, let my counsel be accepted, acceptable to you. King, break off your sins by practicing righteousness. And king, break off your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed. Oh, by the way, that was a big problem with Nebuchadnezzar. 
successful, powerful, wealthy. All the nations were under his tree limbs. But he was not caring for the poor at all. Showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. Maybe, perhaps. Hey, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, I just want to ask, would you repent? Because maybe God won't bring what I just said upon you. Verse 28. Well, all this did come upon King Nebuchadnezzar. Look at this. At the end of 12 months, I don't have time to go into it, and frankly, I don't even know what to go into with that. But it's very interesting. God didn't bring it right at that point when he stated it. 12 months. Why? I, I, again, I don't quite know. Was it to give time maybe for Nebuchadnezzar to repent? I, I don't know. But God gave 12 months. And look, at 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered, and he said, <laughs> Is not this great Babylon, which it was, I mean, this Babylon was extensive and powerful and the world power. But is not this great Babylon, which who built? Which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. Man, Nebuchadnezzar's on the roof looking over everything and he's like, I got to tell you, I am something else. Just want for you to know that as he's talking to himself. Hey, I just want to note this. Let's be careful because we look at this and go, you know, this, this story doesn't relate to me because like I am not the owner of the universe or, or think I am. Well, let's do bring this down. This is an issue of pride. And everyone in this room, including me, Everyone in this room struggles with exactly what Nebuchadnezzar is saying. Look at my life. Look at how successful I am. Look at my family. Man, I got to admit, I, I am something else. You know, look at, I'm not speaking about me, I'm just anybody. You know, look at my car. Look at my house. I mean, just look at my looks. I mean, just look. <laughs> At the heart of it all, we are all very ignorant, arrogant people. We really are. Everyone has had the opportunity. I've had the opportunity. I'm just being transparent with you had the opportunities in my past to go look at all the accomplishments I've done in my business background. I've lived the American dream. I could stack it up to you and I could probably take you out with it. So what? So what? Well, I get up in front of people every week and talk about God. Aren't I spiritual? <laughs> Friends, this is a hardcore issue every one of us wrestles with. So as we're about to see what takes place, don't leave this in la-la fairy tale world. Bring this down to our world because God disciplines me. God disciplines me. 
out of his great love for me. And God disciplines me out of his great love for me. At those times, he changed me. Let's take a look here with him. Verse 31. While the words were still in the king's mouth, (laughs) the period didn't even get dotted on the page. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. Oh, King Nebuchadnezzar. I wonder how that was. Was it like, oh, King Nebuchadnezzar? Or was it like, oh, dude, I'm so sorry, but here we go. Oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. And you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And seven periods of time, or seven years, will pass over you until you know. Now, take this in light of what he just said. Until you know that the most high rules the kingdom of men, and it is the most high that gives it to him who he will. And immediately, okay, those of you from last year in the Mark series, and immediately, okay, when the scripture talks and uses the word immediately, it's meaning immediately, right there. And immediately the word was filled against Nebuchadnezzar. And he was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hair grew as long as eagles' feathers, and his nails were like birds' claws. So, Doug, are you telling today that if God's going to discipline me, that's what he's going to do to me? No, no, no. You know, this is not go home and start eating grass, and that's not what this is about. This is, but I will say this. This is what God did to Nebuchadnezzar. This is here, and by the way, this really happened. This isn't a fairy tale. This really happened. And there's the king living like an animal for seven years. Verse 14, or shall we say 34, at the end of the days, I love that, God knows the days. They're numbered in his hands. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. There's a whole uh, heart thing there. Because we're going to read what he says here in just a minute. I lifted my eyes to heaven, and it was there. I, I think, in essence, I repented And my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored Him who lives forever. Look at this. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and He does according to His will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay His hand or say to Him, What have you done? Can we just say, correction. Okay, ready? Verse 36, at the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. I don't think this is an arrogant statement. He's just saying my kingdom returned, and all the majesty that I had at that point in time returned, and all this returned to me, and my counselors and my Lord sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Again, folks, uh, what's described here is not necessarily what God's saying is going to happen to everybody. This is just what happened with Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 37, I love this as we finish here in this text. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, 
praise and extol and honor the King of heaven. For all his works are right and all his ways are just. And look at this. And those who walk in pride, mm, he's fully able to humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So what happened here? Well, here's a guy like you and I going through life. And uh, as the song from some years earlier said, uh, got a little too sexy for his shirt. And uh, God corrected that. God came in and said, listen, we've got a problem here. And I've been patient with you. But because I love you, it's time. It's time for me to lay some love on you. And to trial you for the purpose of repentance and humbling yourself. So, was Job trialed because of his sin? No. Was David trialed because of his sin? No. Was or Habakkuk trialed because of his sin? No. Was Abraham trialed because of his sin? No. Was Joseph trialed because of his sin? Was Noah trialed because of his sin? Was Nebuchadnezzar trialed because of his sin? No. Some trials are God's correcting work in our lives. God disciplines me. He disciplines me out of his love for me. He disciplines me for the purpose of correcting me. Therefore, I need to watch for and I need to welcome God's correcting work in my life. Turn to Psalm 139. And then we'll take our last few minutes here and finish all those lines on your sermon notes page that you're wondering about. Psalm 139. The last two verses of this chapter... So when a trial comes along and you're like, okay, Pastor Doug's saying it's like a construction zone, God's at work, what do I do? Here's what you do. Here's one of the things that you do. You respond like David responded at the end of Psalm 139. Look at the last two verses, verses 23 and 24. David says, search me, O God, know my heart, try me, know my thoughts, and see if there be any way in me grievous way in me, and lead me in the way of everlasting. This is what is coming out of this for you and I. As we approach trials in life, I'll say this, there's six questions so far that we should ask. Let me go through these six questions here. Question number one, we came from Noah, and I'm kind of following the chronology as we've gone through this series. One of the questions we ask when he hit a trial is this, is, hey, is God bringing on me a lifetime trial ministry? 
In other words, as God brings something into my life, it could be a health situation. It could be a finance situation. It could be a caring for someone situation. It could be some situation where it's like, I just, I'm asking the question God did with Noah. He gave him a special task that lasted a whole lifetime. Maybe God is actually bringing something in my life right now that's going to be a lifetime ministry. And to God be the glory. Maybe that's it. What is the second? What is the trial revealing about my faith from Abraham? I should always be asking that question. What is this trial showing me about my faith? Is it big? Is it small? A third from Joseph. Is God preparing and placing me for a future work? Maybe he is. Like with David, uh, question number four, is God giving me an opportunity to magnify him? You know, maybe this is a situation at hand, that this is an opportunity just to lift the name of Christ high. And live it before people. Number five, like with Job, is God giving me an opportunity to be a living testimony? A kind of a little bit like David, but in this aspect of not maybe just even lifting God high, but just being a living testimony of what it looks like. Listen, you never know who God has intended a situation to impact. It may be just for you, but it may be for others around you. Oh, and by the way, from Job, it might even be for like God to be using to have testimony ministry to people we don't even see. And today, sixth question, is God correcting me? Now, I say I ask these questions, and it's like, Doug, the way in asking these questions, am I supposed to expect an answer, like, hear God speak to me right then? No. Here's what this does. This begins bringing me back. It's like David in Psalm 139 here. Oh, God, just search me. Hey, God, I need to recenter myself in this trial. Maybe, maybe you're bringing a lifetime trial ministry in my life. Maybe it's the kind of thing where you're about going to show me my faith. Maybe it's the kind of thing you're going to prepare and place me. Uh, God, it could be that this is an opportunity to magnify you. Uh, God, it could be a living testimony opportunity. God, are you trying to correct me? And Lord, in this, I may not have the answer right now, but these things bring me back to you. And I'll say this, in the, if it's the correcting thing, it's just saying, God, is there something going on in my life that I know about or I don't know about, something I know about that I'm hiding? an attitude and action, that you're doing this again and again to try and help me just get beyond? Maybe I need to ask my spouse, hey, with what's going on? Are you seeing anything in my life that's going on that maybe God's just trying to help me bring to the surface on how I need to deal with my anger or how I need to deal with my view of life or how I need to deal with something? Listen, that's a welcoming. That's a help me through. And we ask God, if so, would you just show me? Would you show me? Six questions to ask in a trial. And here's the six truths that go along with it. Always remember in a trial, God has a perfect plan. Friends, God has a perfect plan. Noah saw that. God is able. Abraham claimed that. My God is able. The third, Joseph, God is sovereign. I may not get it, I may not like it, I may think it's silly, ridiculous, or even rude. But guess what? God sees the big picture and I don't. God's on the throne, I'm not. And I'm okay with him being there. And come hell or high water, God is always sovereign. Fourth, I need to remember that God is mighty, he is big. He is mighty. I need to cling to the fact, fifth, 
that he is worthy of my worship. Job 38 through 41. He is worthy of my worship. And last from today, God restores. Hey, if God is doing a correcting work in your life and you're like, God, would you show me? I, I may not know, but I'm just open. And let the Spirit of God and the Word of God and the people of God help me to see if this happens to be something you're doing a correcting work in my life. The thing that I have to cling to is God's working to do a restoring work in me. Consider trials with joy because they produce the staying power I need to get the full transformation plan that God has for me. Upside down thinking. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for being bigger than I can comprehend. God, thank you for being more magnificent than I can comprehend. And Lord, I pray, would you help us to be okay with that? Sometimes I, sometimes we wrestle with you because we think we deserve an explanation for all things. And Lord, we don't. That's why the scripture talks again and again about faith. Believing the word of God no matter how I feel, knowing that God promises a good result if I stay close to him in it. May we be a people of faith, and may we be a people that are good about it. God, thank you for your correcting work, those times in our lives where you correct. And I pray this morning, maybe there's someone here who's like, you know what? Maybe part of what God's been trying to do is to rattle my life up a little bit to get my attention because there's something or some things in my life that aren't correct. God, I pray that they would be zealous. And that they'd repent and they'd welcome it. And may we help each other. Thank you for your restoring work in our lives. Your grace is amazing. In the name of Christ we pray.